A rich American industrialist and business tycoon was on holiday in the Caribbean. And walking along the beach one day, he saw a fisherman sat alongside his boat, lazily looking out to sea. Why aren't you out there fishing? he asked. I've caught enough fish for today, said the fisherman. Why don't you catch more fish than you need? What would I do with them? Well, you'd make more money. And if you make more money, you could buy a bigger boat and catch more fish. What would I do with them? Well, you'd sell them and make even more money. And then you could buy more equipment and you could end up with a whole fleet of boats. And then you'll make so much money that you could sit back and enjoy life. What do you think I'm doing right now? Said the fisherman. Another story is told of a man in 5th century Egypt who decided that he would live a holy life. And to do that, he decided he would abandon all the normal conforms of Egyptian life. And he would follow an austere lifestyle out in the Egyptian desert. And from time to time, he would go back into the great city of Alexandria and spend time wandering through all of its street markets. Asked why, this was his reply. My heart rejoices at the sight of all the things I don't need. Learning how to be content is the theme of the message this morning. Learning to be content actually is a virtue that bypasses lots of Christians. And yet Paul in these three verses draws our attention to this most important of lessons that has played a very significant part in him being able to serve Christ in the manner in which he has served Christ. This contentment of which Paul is speaking is actually a contentment which is unique to those who love and follow Christ Jesus and who are living their lives now in fellowship with the living God. I wonder if that's you this morning. So please have your Bible open at verse 10 of Philippians chapter 4. Now, you'll see there that Paul begins by rejoicing as he remembers the great care and support that he's been shown by the Philippian church. And he knows it would be remiss of him not to acknowledge that support that he's been given and to thank them for the gifts that they've sent to him. And that's what he begins to do in verse 10. But as he's writing these words, as often happens with the Apostle Paul, he realises that as he talks about the subject of his needs, that requires some additional explanation and comment. And so in the next three verses, he, he pauses at the end of verse 10 and adds some additional comment in verses 11 to 13. And then he picks up his original train of thought again at verse 14. So next week, God willing, we'll look at verse 10 
and then we'll jump to verse 14 and we'll just follow that one train of thought that he's having. But he's had this little, little thought, and I need to just say something on the subject of being in need. And that's what he does in verses 11, 12 and 13. And so it's those three verses that we're going to look at this morning as he has this little aside to his thought process. Learning how to be content. Number one, don't make your needs the big issue. That's the first half of verse 11. Not that I speak in regard to need. Don't make your needs the big issue. Now, as we'll see in more detail next week, the issue for Paul is not that his needs have been met. The issue for Paul is that these believers have had a desire to do something to help him. That's the main issue for Paul. It's the fact that they have had a heartfelt concern for him as a servant of Christ. And what that says about them spiritually, that's the thing that rejoices Paul's heart. It's not so much that his needs have been met, it's what that demonstration says about the Philippian church. And that's what he rejoices in most of all. He's delighted. Not that I speak in regard to need. Because you see, it's not Paul's thing to go on and on and on about his needs. And the contentment that he has learned to enjoy means that it's not necessary for him to go banging on about his needs all the time. Maybe you can bring to mind certain people over the years and all they seem to ever be concerned about is making sure that you know about all the needs they have and that they seem to think that the number one priority of the church above everything else is to meet their needs and the criteria that they will judge the church on is how well that church has met their needs or not. Well, now we see in these verses that the church, of course, should and must have a desire to help those who are in need. Of course. But as far as that needy individual is concerned... They don't make their needs the big issue. And they don't make weighty demands upon the church as if that's the most important thing. And Paul is going to show us from personal testimony and example that whatever your needs are, Christ is sufficient. Whatever your needs are, Christ is all sufficient. And this from a man who is a prisoner, possibly facing the death penalty. Now, let's be clear. The blessings that come from being in fellowship with the Lord's people are many and they are wonderful. And the ability to draw alongside one another and to help bear one another's burdens is a tremendous privilege and indeed is a means of grace that God often uses in our fellowship together. But we must never permit, depending upon one another, to keep us from discovering the all-sufficiency of Christ. 
and depending upon him. Because there is a danger that you could depend so much upon the church that in reality you've ceased trusting in Christ. And he isn't the all-sufficient one that he should be to you. And as we're about to see, the needs that we often feel we have can actually be used by God as instruments to draw us near to himself in fellowship and in faith. So, don't make your needs the big issue. Because look at what Paul goes on to say. He talks about learning and knowing. Second half of verse 11 and through verse 12. Look at the phrases that you'll see in those verses. I have learned. I know how to. I know how to. I have learned. So he says, I have learned twice. And he says, I know how to twice. These are significant statements that Paul is making here. Paul has learned how to be content in every circumstance. So let's unpick his words a little and take careful note of some of the important truths that these verses reveal for us. Number one, this contentment of which Paul speaks has had to be learned. This didn't just come, up, didn't just come upon Paul one day out of nowhere. He didn't just suddenly wake up one morning and find he'd had this great contentment washed over him. He had to learn it. Now, perhaps as you read these words, your initial response is to feel downcast because you have problems right now and you don't have the contentment of which Paul is speaking and that only makes you feel even more down and even harder on yourself. Well, hold on a minute. Hold on a minute. It wasn't always like this for Paul. He's been where you are right now. And this contentment that he now has is something he's had to learn. But in his testimony, here is the great encouragement for every Christian. This contentment is something that a Christian can learn. Isn't that good to know? There's no reason why you and I can't learn it, just like Paul did. Now, think of the hardships and the discouragements and the disappointments that Paul has experienced in his Christian ministry. All kinds of things. Severe beatings. Stoned once with stones to the point where they thought they'd left him dead. Shipwreck, imprisonment, abandonment by fellow workers. Every manner of disappointment has come upon Paul. Every type of upset and humiliation has come Paul's way, physical and emotional. He's been through every mill you can go through. But he's learned how to accept these circumstances that the Lord may see fit to put him through and to have his heart content and not in turmoil. This is something we need. This is the reality of being a Christian that we all need to learn too. Secondly, this contentment of which Paul speaks is independent of his circumstances. 
in the world in which we live, discontent is the order of the day, isn't it? And there's a lot going on which is aimed at making you feel discontent. You'll be discontent with your salary unless you earn this much. You'll be discontent with where you live unless it looks like a house like this. You'll be discontent with the car you drive unless it drives like this one. You'll be discontent with your holiday destination unless you fly to a place like that. You'll be discontent with how you look unless you use these products and wear these clothes. And on the one hand, you've got people who are so discontent they just give up hoping and trying for anything better. And on the other hand, you have people who are so discontent, but their discontentment just drives them on harder and harder and further in the vain search for a set of circumstances that will finally deliver that elusive contentment. Only only to discover that as they crest what they thought was the final peak, there's another one even higher right in front of them. Uh, Some of you have heard me speak before about this guy. His name's Chris Dawson. He owns that chain of shops called The Range. He's worth one and a half billion pounds and he has all the lifestyle to go with it. That car you see him standing next to, that car costs 300,000 pounds. Chris Dawson said, it feels very good to be a billionaire. I'm sure it does, Chris, but listen to what else he said. The very first time he appeared on the rich list published in the Sunday Times, he said he had a feeling of emptiness, a feeling that he'd achieved his dream, but what comes next? These are his words. Seeing my name on the rich list was emotional. I didn't know whether to laugh or cry. I wasn't happy. I felt out of control. I felt like a little boy who's won everything and then had been told to sit in the corner so you can't play with anyone. I felt like it was all over. Even being worth 1.5 billion doesn't make you content. Paul has been set free from all of that. Have you? Have you been set free from that? Paul had. Some Christians perhaps try and live according to this proverb. Godliness with great gain equals contentment. I have Jesus... If I can just add to him sufficient of what the world has to offer, then I'll be content. But that, of course, is not what the Bible teaches. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 6. Godliness with contentment is great gain. And then Paul goes on writing to Timothy. For we brought nothing into the world... 
and it is certain we can carry nothing out of it. Having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. Having food, having clothing, with these we shall be content. I want to suggest there are lots of Christians for whom having food and having clothing does not equal contentment. But the word of God says it should and it must. And the world in which we live is a sinful world. It's full of brokenness. It's full of wickedness. And there are all kinds of circumstances which break in and shatter our peace, don't they? And they largely are the kind of circumstances that Paul is talking about that have confronted him. And the message of these verses is that if you are a Christian, then it is possible to learn how to be content in any and every circumstance. Because the thing that brings your contentment is something that is not of this world. It's Christ. Paul knows how to continue living and serving as a, as a faithful servant of Jesus Christ, no matter what. But he's had to learn how. Third thing, even in times of plenty, Paul's contentment comes from the same source. That's important to know. Even in times of plenty, Paul's contentment comes from the same source. This contentment of which Paul is speaking is not limited or restricted to when things are going badly. And you mustn't understand Paul on this point. He says he's learned how to abound and be full as well as how to be abased and to be hungry. The point is this. Even when his circumstances are good, it's not those pleasant circumstances that are the source of his contentment. That's an important and significant lesson to learn. The good circumstances, the favourable circumstances, the pleasant circumstances are not the source of his contentment. This teaching that Paul is giving isn't only applicable for when the bad times come. Christians don't oscillate backwards and forwards, relying upon my circumstances when they're good, but then switching to rely upon God when things are going badly. That's not the Christian life. The Christian's being set free from conforming to the patterns of the world, which is to be content because of your circumstances. You've been set free from that. Your mind has been transformed and renewed. And it's included within that is learning how to have Christ as the source of all your contentment, not just in the bad times, but even when everything's going well. Christ, even there, still and only, is the source of your contentment. Fourth point, it's the changing nature of his circumstances that have enabled him to learn these things. Now, if the Christian path that Paul had walked had always been smooth, if every aspect of his life had been without struggle 
without controversy, without opposition, if all of the things that he gave himself to in the service of Christ had been trouble-free, how much of this lesson would he have learned? None of it. Look at what he says in verse 12. Everywhere and in all things I have learned. It's been in these very circumstances that have been so variable, so changing, so unpredictable, in and through them all, the good times and the bad, through those things I've learned this lesson. The difficult, trying circumstances have themselves acted as his teacher. They've been the source of his learning. And this ties in with things that we read in other parts of the scriptures. James chapter 1 verses 2 to 4. Brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Has James lost his marbles? No. Why? Because knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Those trials you're going through, they're going to do you good if you allow them to. What does Peter have to say on this issue in the opening chapter of 1 Peter from verse 3? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Oh, this sounds so marvellous, doesn't it? And it is. Who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Wonderful. In this you greatly rejoice, though now, for a little while, if need be, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. Why, Peter? That the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to praise, honour and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That was Paul's experience. That's his testimony here as he writes to the Philippian church. These Christian men, like Paul, are speaking from personal testimony. Are you going through struggles and trials and difficulties? And does contentment seem like it's a million miles away? Perhaps there's a question you need to ask that up to now you hadn't thought of asking. Lord, what is it that I need to learn? As you take me through this, what is it that you want to show me and teach me so that I can learn? And perhaps as God is currently perhaps taking you through a time of trial, here's a request that you can make before the Lord on your knees. Lord, teach me how. You need me to walk this particular path right now? Okay, but I can't. So teach me how. 
teach me how to walk it. Help me to learn. And prayerfully bring those requests to the Lord and do it with an open Bible because that's where God speaks and that's where God makes his will known to you. And maybe even with a trusted Christian friend at your side for wise counsel. And of course, acknowledging the sovereignty of God over all of our circumstances and recognizing that the Lord is as much at work during times of struggle as during times of comfort is an important part of that learning process that Paul went through and that you and I need to go through. Here's another thing. Anticipating heaven's glory brings today's contentment. Anticipating heaven's glory brings today's contentment. Paul has already reminded us of where our true citizenship lies earlier in the letter. Remembering the future glory which awaits God's people in his eternal kingdom is a great spur to resting content in the midst of trials which, by comparison, are but for a moment when compared with the glory of eternity. We read these words in Romans chapter 8. I consider, this is Paul again writing of course, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Anticipating heaven's glory brings today's contentment. And what was it we read in 1 Peter chapter 1? In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while. Well, it might feel like an age, but remind yourself of eternity, and it is only for a little while. The genuineness of your faith might be proved and be found to praise, honour and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's when Christ returns. That's when Christ will take you forever to be with himself in glory for all of eternity. Anticipating heaven's glory brings today's contentment. And one final point under this part, what Paul has been through is given for the learning and comfort of others. You're not supposed to sit there thinking, well done Paul, what a great fellow. You are to see in him an ordinary man like you who relies upon all the same means of grace that you do. You are to see in him that which God has done and which God also is able to do for you. If God can give Paul this degree of contentment, he can give it to you. We read these words in the opening chapter of 2 Corinthians from verse 5. As the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds through Christ. Now if we are afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effective for enduring the same sufferings which we also suffer. Or if we are comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. You see, these things are that we might all learn and be comforted together. 
Paul would say to Timothy in his second letter, don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. and Don't be ashamed that I'm a prisoner because of Christ. Share with me in the sufferings of the gospel according to the power of God. Share with me in these things. What Paul has been through is given for the learning and comfort of others. And then finally, and as we conclude, as we wonder about these things, we are reminded by Paul that only through Christ, only through Christ, can you have this testimony. Remind you of a few of the things that Paul has already said as he wrote this letter. Verse 12 of the opening chapter, I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. All of those things. The fact that he's now a prisoner in chains, possibly to be condemned to death. It's all happened for the furtherance of the gospel and he has a huge grin on his face as he says it. At verse 19 of the opening chapter, I know this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death, whether I live or whether I die, that Christ will be magnified. That's the testimony of this man who's learned to be content in any and every circumstance. 2 verse 5, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. There's an important thing you see. This new mind that you have as a Christian believer, the mind of Christ. See, here in Paul is a man for whom Christ is everything. And that's how he's been able to learn this lesson. Because Christ for him is everything. This is a man whose whole life has been given over to the service of Christ. Because Christ is the one who gave all of himself for Paul. But not only done for Christ, but through Christ. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The life of Christ is in this man Paul and the grace of Christ, and the love of Christ, and the mind of Christ. Paul's been able to learn these things by keeping his whole focus upon Christ, and by understanding that in all of these situations that he's been in, God has brought him through Christ, and kept him through Christ. And they've, all of these circumstances have contributed to the furtherance of the gospel, and ultimately contributed to the praise and glory of God. And when Paul says all things, I can do all things. All things, of course, is not meant to convey that Paul is free to do absolutely anything he wants to do. This is not license to do whatever he pleases with no, no regard for the word of God and with no regard for the purposes or will of God. All things means whatever it is that God requires of him. All things means... Whatever it is to live a life worthy of Christ and worthy of the gospel. All things means whatever it is to live for Christ, to be faithful to Christ, to please and obey Christ and to proclaim Christ. 
Whatever it is that God has for me to do, I can do all of those things through Christ who strengthens me. Wherever God takes him, whatever God requires of him, whatever are the circumstances that God puts him in that he needs to endure, he can do all those things for Christ and through Christ. Here's a question. Does Paul within himself have the grace and faith and wisdom and compassion and forgiveness and boldness and endurance that he needs for all these things? No more than you or I. No more than you or I. Can Paul of himself learn how to be content everywhere and in all things? No more than you can. But in all these things, and for all these things, Christ strengthens him. And that word strengthen is the word from which we get the word dynamite. Real, effective power and strength through Christ. And in all these things, and for all these things, you can be sure that Christ will strengthen you. That you too, in him, may learn to be content. Let's pray for one another that the Lord will teach us that we will be good learners of how to find all our contentment in Christ alone.